back this week in our sermon series on the parables of Jesus. Yes. And tonight we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. I didn't think we could do a sermon series on the parables of Jesus and not talk about this one. This is kind of one of the, it's pretty famous. People have heard Good Samaritan at some point in their lives. Now, did anyone, this is a random question, but did anyone watch Fancy Tales growing up? That makes sense. I see it. But I think, I'm pretty sure that this parable was in one of the very first episodes. And I had three younger brothers and a younger sister, so I ended up watching it a lot. And I don't have any pictures of it. I had thought about putting on my slides Veggie Tales themed. But I thought, we're a little grown up for that. Maybe y'all. Hey, but we do have a lot to get through tonight. We also have a, an intramural soccer game at 9 o'clock tonight. So my guys are advancing. I think some other teams doing well. And some happening at the Papa House after this as well. So there's a lot happening tonight. So let's get through tonight. But let me pray. And then I'm going to have my friend Matt Martinez come up to read for us. Let me pray. And Matt, you start coming up here. But Lord Jesus, would you speak tonight? God, would, you come, would your spirit come upon me, Lord? Would you fill my heart? Lord Jesus, when the words that I'm speaking, God, would not be my own. But Lord, would they be yours? The word that we have tonight, Lord Jesus, would you speak through it? Lord Jesus, look, God, would you, would you powerfully charge these words that everyone would hear this and get it, Lord? That we would walk away from here with a deeper picture of who you are. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Matt, where are you at? Right here. We're in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise the Levite, when he had came to the place, and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him on an inn and took care of him. And the next day he went, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him now, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I'm going to do my best to unpack this parable tonight for us. There's a few things that have spoken to me through this passage. It's formed a sort of a burden on my, on my heart. But man, what an incredible story of, gen of kindness and generosity and servanthood in this passage. It's a beautiful story of compassion for another human being and serving that person in the very most practical of ways. 
There's a few important characters in this parable. There's a man who's beaten, there's a priest and a Levite, and of course there's a Samaritan himself. The man who is the one beaten on the road. Most likely, he was a Jewish, Jewish merchant traveling between the two cities. The priest and the Levite, they represent the religious authority of the day. But the Samaritan, see the Samaritan was an outsider to the Jewish people. They were often considered enemies. And this is the man, this is the one who sees the man beaten. He can't stop but go out of his way to help him. Neither the priest or the Levite, the religious authorities of the day, stopped to help this man. Either they just pretended to not notice him, or they made excuses as to why they couldn't right then. They're like, all oh, my work's too important. I've got to, I've got to serve at this place. I need to be here. I can't, I can't help this guy. Both of them made excuses for why they couldn't. How terrible it is when the people you should be able to rely on don't do what they ought to. That's why it's extra hurtful when a pastor or a missionary mismanages money and commits adultery. We have this standard in our mind of what they should be. And it's hurtful when they don't live up to that. But man, this traveling Samaritan, this wonderfully ideal man, it was probably, it was probably inconvenient for him to stop and help this, the person be. And it probably ended up costing him a lot of money in the long term. But he saw someone in need. And it didn't matter if that person was Jewish or no Samaritan or not. He was moved with compassion and stopped to serve that person, left for dead. Super cool? Yeah. 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 Remember that these parables are stories that Jesus, Jesus is telling for a very specific purpose. So at this point, a lawyer was the one who was trying to test Jesus. He was questioning Jesus on what, what was truth, what was right. He was trying to put him to the test. But then he ended up being the one questioning. Yeah. Isn't that how it is when we try to question with God and test him? I can't read the very first part of this passage without thinking of Matthew 22, 37 through 40, in which this passage, Jesus is the one who is asked what is the most important commandment of all. He responds with this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Sounds familiar? Now, whether or not these two instances are two separate occasions or the same one just told differently, what's clear is that the message is most important. What is Jesus actually saying? What is being said? That we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, Jesus, you notice this thing he says in between the two commandments, that the second is like it. What that means is that the two are like the same. Each just as important as the other. I can't, yeah. We must love God and we must love our neighbor. These two things make up the greatest commandment of all. We must love God. Many of you already know that. But we also are commanded to love the people around us, our neighbors. And Jesus made sure to repeat his command in various ways. John 13, 34, and 35 say this A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Or just a little further in the book of John, in chapter 15, verse 12, it says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid up his life for his friends. You are my friend if you do what I command. Greater love has no one than this, 
as someone laid down his life for his friends, for her friends. Jesus is clear on this. This isn't a negotiable thing. If we're to be followers of him, we must love one another. We must be willing to lay down our lives for one another. In order to love each other well, we must die to self. It means I can't be selfish. It means I can't live for myself. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, Trevor, you don't, you don't know my roommate. You don't know how awful he is. You don't know what he said to me. You don't know how he didn't wash the dishes for the past six weeks and I, I've been the one doing them. Or... Trevor, you don't understand this person who should have been my friend was actually awful to me. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not the one with the problem. They are. Ooh. Maybe it's this situation or that one. And you're right. I don't know all of your situations. I can't fully understand what you're going through with different people in your relationships. But I can tell you a story about my friend Sean and myself. I think I have a picture of them. Sean and his wife Heather. There they are. A big, goofy smile. Well, Sean, which is the one on the left. Can't tell. Just kidding. Heather, Sean and Heather, they're wonderful friends of ours. But let me tell you, Sean and I didn't always get along. You see, Sean had a knack for correcting people's English. You know those people that do that? You say something, you're like, it's you and I. Ooh. I remember one time distinctly, our small group leader, John, was praying, and Sean had the audacity to correct him mid-prayer. Ooh. I found him left for that one. I just, I remember thinking, like, this guy. And together, we, we went through LTC together, which is our leadership training class that we offer in the spring to be a small group Which, many of you, I would say, began to pray about whether or not the Lord was asking them to do that. But Sean was known widely in Kyle very quickly. People knew who he was. He had a loud voice. They knew what he, who he was. He was quick to say whatever was on his mind. But let me tell you this. Sean had a very deep thought life about who God was. He had a great devotional life. He thought deep thoughts, and he was willing to share them. And so some people were like, man, this guy knows. He knows what's up. But sometimes Sean also, he would say things, like he would think something, he just had to say it. It didn't matter if it was rude or mean or not. You know those people? Yeah. <laughs> I remember this one time. I, um, <laughs> I remember one time we were hanging out with him and I in the mall area with a bunch of other guys. We were talking about this couple that were married. And I was talking about how I didn't understand how he had married her. Like, he married her, like, big time. Like, he, would, he had married out of his league, and I couldn't understand how that happened. And Sean had the audacity, like, he just looked at me and said, well, at least he has a wife. Oh. And not only that, this is right after a pretty painful breakup I had just gone through. Sean knew about it. I was, it was, like, extra painful. Like, it was an open wound. And he just said, let me stick my finger in this wound of yours. And it hurt, it hurt my feelings very deeply. Hurt my feelings so much that one time he and I wrestled at high alpha. And just to be clear, the floor is a lot like this, so it hurts when you fall on it. But after I had won, I won. I had kind of an attitude. And I went to stand up and I grabbed Sean on his back and I shoved him. And he hit his face on the floor, and it's like, it's this floor with like a really thin layer of carpet. Like, not a, you can't even call it carpet. It's like, I don't know. I did him dirty. It was wrong. Okay? Then, 
he ended up, he was made the resource leader, which is the company leader over me. And for a time I thought, well, maybe I don't need to be in Kyle Flip. I don't want him as my leader. This is all real. This is like some wicked, this is wicked and wrong. And I couldn't live that way very long before I read 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. It says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let me read that again. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I didn't want to be a liar in front of God. I hope you don't either. Jesus was made very clear that we must love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we are living in disobedience with Him when we don't. I cannot say that I love God, but then hate what He loves. I had to learn to forgive Sean for the petty things I saw in him. He was made in the image of God. And God loved him, so I needed to as well. It took time. But we ended up becoming friends, and then later on, he even asked me to be best man at his wedding. And then he was best man in mine. That jump from disliking one another, resenting one another, to being friends was gradual. And it took time, it took prayer, and a willingness to love someone I didn't naturally want to. The Lord had dealt with my heart for Sean. And now the two of us are best friends, and I can't imagine life without him. Even though we live apart, and probably always will. He's on staff at the Kyle Hopper at West Virginia University. And we say this at Kyle that love is a choice. And it is, love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and His kingdom. Love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and His kingdom. Now I want to honor someone here in the room who I think modeled this love for his brothers well. And that's actually Matt Martinez. I have seen Matt love people well, in spite of how they have treated him. That even when he's been almost abused, he continues to love people so well. And if you want to learn how to be more loving and kind and compassionate, then spend time with Matt. Let me tell you, he's one of those guys where those, those attributes of who Christ like, those Christ-like qualities, they radiate off around him. Now we might, this whole loving our neighbors ourselves, we might still try to get out of it sometimes. We might ask like a lawyer in a parable, who is my neighbor? We might ask kind of questions like that. I know I've been guilty of that kind of, of that kind of question. Yeah. Trying to bargain with God on who I should be kind to versus others. There's a lot of people in this world I don't like. Maybe you're like me, you can quote Mr. Bilbo Baggins from Lord of the Rings. Says, at his birthday he says, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. That's Hobbit as well. He, Bilbo, roasted everybody at the birthday party. Which is kind of funny, but we can't live like that. But what if the neighbors we're called to love end up that they're enemies, and they're mean, and they're cruel to us? Maybe we've attempted to be kind to them and loving, but they don't seem to reciprocate any of that. Well, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48 says this. 
And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Paul writes a little later, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. This is a kind of a lengthy passage, so bear with me. I just thought it was so good I could not, I couldn't pick, pick and choose verses from it. But it says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, or stay away from what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the world. Never be wise in your own sight, and pay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can't avenge ourselves. We must give it to the Lord. When people mistreat you, they're made in the image of God, whether they realize it or not. And we've got to learn to, to love one another. Bless those who persecute us. Bless those who mistreat us. Pray for those who, in our lives that irritate and irk us. Now maybe you're here, maybe you're like, you feel like you could never be loving and kind and compassionate. You're thinking, well that's great that others are like that. And God says we should be like this, but I'll never live up to that kind of a standard. There's this awesome Scottish professor and writer named Henry Drummond who wrote a wonderful essay called The Greatest Thing in the World. Now this is an essay, I have all my guys in company read it, and I, I believe every Christian should read it. We happen to have five or six copies of the Kaaba House for you to check out. Hey, it's available. But in this essay, he breaks down perhaps the best chapter in the Bible on love. 1 Corinthians 13. Now he says this about growing in love. He said, what makes a man a good cricketer? Player of cricket. It says practice. What makes a man a good artist, a good sculptor, a good musician? Practice. What makes a man a good linguist, a good stenographer? Practice. What makes a man a good man? Practice. Nothing else. There is nothing capricious about religion. We do not get the soul in different ways, under different laws, from those in which we get the body and the mind. If a man does not exercise his arm, he develops no bicep muscle. If a man does not exercise his soul, he acquires no muscle in his soul, no strength of character, no vigor of moral, moral fiber, no beauty of spiritual growth. Love is not a thing of enthusiastic emotion. 
It is a rich, strong, manly, vigorous expression of the whole round Christian character. Yes. The Christ-like nature in its fullest development. And the constituents of this great character are only being built up by ceaseless practice. So if you find yourself lacking in love, practice it. Find ways of serving others and being happy. Pray for them. How wonderful it is when we pray for the people who annoy you. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But we say that love finds a need and meets it. We look for people's needs and we find ways to meet those needs for them. Which is kind of why we're taking up this offering for our missionaries. There's a need there. And we're having a chance to meet that need. I tell you, if you will learn to love others as Christ does, it will be powerful. Jesus says, you don't know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We must, we must, we must love one another. Now this concept of loving your neighbor well is very important for you now and for the rest of your lives. One day, most of you are going to be married and be parents and be forced to love someone else that it isn't always going to be easy to, okay? Sometimes I get on my wife's nerves and then she chooses to love me and it's wonderful and I'm so grateful. There might be physical neighbors. There might be co-workers who require love on your end with. Some of you will be missionaries and go to the ends of the earth and love neighbors all the way to Saudi Arabia or South America or somewhere like that. We, we must love our neighbors. We start now so we can later in the future. So what do you got? I have some friends that their marriages have fallen apart. And the only thing I can really say is I felt like love somewhere for one of them just sort of died out. They started choosing to live for themselves and not for the other one. And it's sad. And it's painful. And it's, it's hard to see. But if you will get this now, and you will take steps in your life to learn to love people no matter what they do to you, unconditionally, it will be powerful. And it will be good. <laughs> it will not let you down. I'll just say this, one of the best things you can do is if you feel like there's some like, issue between you and somebody, to go ahead and go and apologize to that person if you feel like there's awkwardness there. And the best response you can have if someone says they're sorry, I forgive you. Yeah. Don't say when someone's apologizing to you, oh, it's fine, or oh, it doesn't matter. No, you, that people need to hear, I forgive you. We need to hear that. We need to apologize, and we need to be forgiven. <laughs> Very, very, very important. I don't know if y'all realize how many unresolved issues come back up when times get stressful and angry, and then it's like, well, you know what? You actually said this, this, and this. Let me tell you about six months ago when you did this. And it's like, we've got to learn to let some things go, but then also we've got to learn to talk about stuff. Confront our issues with one another. Say, no, this is not okay the way you said this, the way you treated me. We need to forgive each other. We need to, yeah, we need to do it. Sound good? Now we can start small and try to love the guys or girls in your small groups well and find ways to serve and honor one another. You can serve and honor the people in your small groups. Small group guys and girls, honor your small group leaders. Find ways to serve and love them. To each other. <laughs> Maybe your company groups. Maybe there's, there's a need there to serve and love one another or across the various companies and love and serve one another here in Chi Alpha. What a wonderful thing it would be if we serve and love one another well. What would that speak to the university? To, yeah. And it might have to start on your end, but the hope is that we as individuals and as a ministry can fulfill Jesus' commands. Yes. Worship team, you can go ahead and start coming back up here.
Now, I'm going to read this passage for us in 1 Corinthians 13 tonight, but I want to give you some homework. <gasps> You're like, this is Kyle from this in class. But what I'm asking is that you would go home and you would read this passage of 1 Corinthians 13 every day for a week. This is an incredible passage. And if you will do that, it will speak to you. Can I tell you, it's only 13 verses. Let me just read it for us. I have it up on the screen as well. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy god or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, they will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So maybe a lot of you have heard this at weddings. It's kind of a popular scripture to use for that. But I'm asking that you would go home and you would read this passage again and again and again and again. Because this thing called love is something we can all grow in. And if you notice, if you go through this scripture verse, you might have to change some pronouns and some stuff in it, but if you take the word love and you change it to God, this defines his character. Right? God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. And all down the line. Now what if you put your own name there? Is Trevor patient? Is Trevor kind? Is Trevor not in me? No, no I, I am very aware of my own flaws. But what I'm saying is that we can go through this and see the character of God in this passage. But can your, can your character identify and be similar to the same? I think we can grow that way. And it's going to take steps. It's going to take work. It's going to take practice, like Henry Drummond says. This is something we can all grow in. The Good Samaritan that Jesus talked about demonstrated an incredible work of love and service for his fellow man, for his fellow neighbor. We have had many brothers and sisters in this community who felt the love of God and the love for others and who taken the gospel all over the country, all over the world. But an inconvenience sometimes has cost them greatly. And yeah, y'all have the opportunity to help them, which is why we take up this offering. Yeah, this is, a, this is an offering to the Lord. But let me tell you one other thing. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. I don't have a, a slide for it. This came to me today. But it says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. We can offer God our money and our hearts, and that's it's wonderful, and we need to do it. But if we have some unresolved conflict, if we need to be reconciled with someone, 
And while worship is happening, I'm going to ask that you would just take a minute, you would pray, and ask God to sit at your heart and check your heart where you're at. And is there someone maybe in the room? Maybe it's someone you need to call. Is there anybody I need to I need to apologize to? I need to fix this. I need to talk to them. And if there is, I'm asking that the Lord will take, He will honor that thing. And He will help. Yeah, we've had friends who, who have been here in this community and have gone all out to Houston, to the rest of Texas, across the country, across the world, whether in business, whether in the marketplace, and they have loved God well. And they've learned, I need to love God. And I need to love my neighbor as myself. So that's what I'm asking. That you would just take a minute, individually, and just pray and ask God, is there anything I need to do? Is there anyone I need to talk to? Anyone I need to apologize to? And you would talk to them. And then in the future, you would love each other well. Your small groups, your company groups, people in your classes, people you live with, everyone. Sound good? Yeah. All right, let me pray and worship. I got it. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I'm so grateful for who you are, everything that you've done. I ask the Holy Spirit that you would speak to the students tonight. Oh God, you would just begin to give faces and names to them. Oh God, who it is they need to speak to. And Lord Jesus, they wouldn't go home, they wouldn't go hang out with different hangouts or watching intramurals or whatever without doing this first. But God, we would take some time and we would go and we would be reconciled with our brothers and sisters. And Lord Jesus, that we would love one another well. That God, we wouldn't make excuses like the priest or the Levite do in, in the parable, Lord. But God, we would see needs and we'd go out of our way to meet them, even if it's inconvenient. We'd go out and talk to someone, even if it's awkward or painful. We love you, God. We love each other well. Would you help me to do the same thing, Lord? Help each of us. We love you, God. Amen.